So you know I'm working through the series of Revelation 3.20, and if Jesus came to our front door and knocked, and he says, here I am standing at the door of knocking, would you hear his voice? Would you answer it? And if Jesus came to our church, what would he say to us? And would he teach us the model of transformation that we've been looking at for some time? He said, uh, "If follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That's not a suggestion. That's not for just for apostles and preachers. It's for every one of us. That's the method of transformation. As we follow Jesus, he is going to transform us into being people catchers. That's just amazing to me that he does that in our life. So my message this morning, please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, and let's pray. Lord, I want to follow and focus following on you. Now, this the story that is a true story happened 2,000 years ago on the North Shore of the Galilee. Uh, it's the true story. It's, it's a case study, really, of Jesus' method of transformation. A case study, what you look at, and you say, this is how it works. Here's a picture. Uh, in verses 1 to 3, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and began to teach, the, taught the people from the boat. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Verse 6, and when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat, come on over to help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished by the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner. Then Jesus said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And so they pulled their boats up on the shore. They left everything and followed Jesus. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Did you see here Jesus' method for us to apply to our lives? Based on this true event, I see, I strongly recommend four steps or four things we should do now. And the first one in your message notes, take the next step to follow Jesus the Christ, verses 1 through 3. You see, Jesus just didn't happen to be at this lake at that spot. His headquarters was there in Capernaum, right on the lakeside. And there, that fishing village, he preached in the synagogue. He cast out demons out of a man attending the synagogue. He healed Peter's mother-in-law there just a few yards away from the synagogue. And there, I think that's where the roof was torn apart and, and the uh, person was lowered down into, into the Jesus' presence. This was where Peter and his family lived. And it was through that town, a major highway passed north to south, the Via Mare, which means, by the way, of the sea. It would be like Highway Interstate 5 for us. 
And there was a toll booth strategically placed there on the Via Mari from Egypt all the way up to Assyria. And guess who had this toll booth there to collect taxes? Matthew. So these guys were hearing Jesus talk all the time. He lived there. That was where, where he hung. Is that, is that right? Yes, that's where he hung. Okay. And these fishing boats were just not any fishing boats. Jesus had, had known the owners for some time. Peter and his brother Andrew's boat was there. And James and John, their fishing partner's boats, were right next to it. And the Gospel of John tells us that when Jesus first met John and Andrew and the crowd that were listening to John the Baptist, they heard John the Baptist say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they took note of that. And they began to follow Jesus. And so Jesus turns around to them and says, What do you want? Rabbi, which means teacher, we want to know where you live. And Jesus said, Come on, follow me, and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent the rest of the day with Jesus and heard his voice. And, and Andrew was so excited, he ran out and found Peter and said, we found the Messiah. So I think that was the start of the disciple-making, transforming method of, of, of transformation to be catchers of men. Began there, there right there in Capernaum where Jesus was still teaching. So at least these three fishermen were already uh, confronted by Jesus. Peter and Andrew and John, the writer of the Gospel of John. Uh, and usually in that time, uh, the local rabbi would pick the brightest and best kids to train them in Torah. But these boys didn't have what it took to become rabbi kids. They were just fishermen. And Jesus began to invest in those ordinary, common, fish-smelling, stinky, calloused-hand guys, Peter, Andrew, and John, and, and those four. And so when Jesus began to teach at the lake, he was standing right there, and there were uh, Peter's boats, and they were, they were cleansing their nets and so forth, and there was Andrew and James all there. And as we continue to read the Gospels of, of Matthew and Mark, we see these four fishermen had been called of Jesus when they, he, they were casting their nets in the water, and he says, follow me. And they left their nets and followed him. They put aside their business to concentrate on listening to what Jesus said. So this process of transformation of being made in the fishermen of men began and continued from hearing him, following him, leaving their nets behind to focus on Jesus. It continues to grow. And now, I believe that they, with this intentional effort to know who Jesus was, they were there washing the nets and hearing Jesus talk there on the shoreline, listening. Jesus' disciples were following him one step at a time, and he was making them into fishers of men, as he promised in Matthew 4, 18, transforming these men to be salty, Brilliant witnesses for him in the future. As the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, faithful is he who called you, and he who called you will do it. Our faithful God searches us out, 
calls us to salvation, calls us to follow him, calls us to be fishers of men, and we must strategically and intentionally say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you wherever you go. So what's next? Take the next step to follow Jesus Christ. We've read verses 1 through 3. He taught them, and the next step is to welcome Jesus into your boat so you can be so close to him that you can hear him. Jesus sat down in Peter's boat, and here's Peter right here, front row seat, middle of the 50-yard line, eyeball to eyeball with Jesus, listening to his words. And we need to have that kind of intense gaze upon our Savior. Let him into your life. Let him into your study. Let him into what you watch and listen to, and listen to him. I want to follow you, Jesus. And Peter was strategically appointed by Jesus. I want to get into your boat. So you see the method here to apply to us? First, Jesus is the rabbi. They're listening to him. They leave the nets. And then he comes and leads us to the next step. And we, the songs we sang today, Chris, are right on target with what we're trying to talk about. The second thing is surrender your worn-out methods to follow Jesus' new directives. Counterintuitively, they listened to this rabbi who evidently knew nothing about fishing. He was a, a tecton, a carpenter, stonemason. They listened to this guy to teach him how to fish. Can you imagine that? Verse 4, when they'd finished speaking, he said, put your uh, deep water and put down your nets. And you see what, what Peter calls Jesus. It's a rare word in the New Testament for Jesus. Master. The word master means leader. Or you're the boss. <laughs> Whatever you say. Grumbling. I'll put it out. Okay, what you say. So I'll let down my nets. And I, I remember many days where I'm fishing all day and I'm doing the best I can. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm dehydrated. I need some food and I can't catch a thing. And some guy walks up behind me dressed in a suit would say, Hey, fish over there. And I'm thinking, You don't know what you're talking about. And if I did, would I have caught a fish? No, that guy really didn't happen. But sometimes I hear people say, just fish over there. You don't understand what it means to fish, but you're the master. But since you said so, actually the word said so is you said rhema. That's a specific word, like the sword of the spirit is the word, the rhema of God. Not logos, the whole context, but a specific directive. Listen to me. This is the next step I want you to take. Go to deeper waters and cast out your net. My word. Peter, reluctant, resentful, resigned, but he is obedient. He takes the next step. I don't feel like it, but I'm going to do it. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. Right? You know the song? That's true as ever when it was first written, to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. That just is the simple essence of what it means to follow Jesus. And when they had done so, verse 6, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And as I looked at this in the original languages, actually uh, a large number, they couldn't put it together in words. They had to pile words together. It means a much multitude of fishes. Now who talks like that? I mean, it's like, well, I caught so many fish, I have to put it in a picture. And now I'm using this opportunity to brag. <laughs> These are uh, sockeye from the Kenai, uh, 
four, four or five of us guys were fishing all day, and we caught a lot of sockeye, a lot of reds. And isn't that impressive? I'm, I'm the green hat there. I caught five or six of them. That was the limit. And that's much, what's the word here? That's a much multitude of fish. And boy, did they taste great. Anyway, they were, verse 7, so they signal. I mean, their hands are so full. They actually, it's the word nodded. Get over here. Come on. Let's, let's do this. So they paddle over, row over, and throw their cast out or try to help them and so forth. And, 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 the, and their partners in the other boat came and helped them. And it was so full that both boats began to sink. Can you imagine up to the keel? Bob Brown, you're a, a mariner, you know, what it's like when you start to sink. We got to get rid of some of this weight. And there was, we got so much, but we got to get to shore here. Who could have imagined? How could these Peter and, and Andrew and James and John even come to a think about such a thing? That they could go out after they fished all night catching nothing, and now their boats are sinking with so many fish flapping in there in the boat. Above and beyond all we could ask or imagine. And you know, sometimes we are limited by our own ideas of how we are to do this. What I call our programs. Our programs have become sacred. But I'll tell you folks, all programs have a shelf life. They last just a long a period of time and then the culture changes and we need to find new ways to fish for people. Programs are not sacred. They're just pro best people's best sincere efforts, and they worked well 40 years ago. Christian Service Brigade and, and other things like that don't wear uniforms anymore. Awanas, Pioneer Girls, all those things, some of them may still work, but they all have a shelf life. And even in this church, there are programs we love so dearly, but do they catch fish? Our worn-out old programs may be blocking us from catching a multitude of fish. And Jesus told it this way in the parable of, of, of Luke 5, 36 and 38. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it onto an old one. If he does, he'll have it torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And one pours out, no one pours out new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins as it ferments and grows. New wine the wine will ruin, the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into the new wineskins. Oh, Father, help us as a church to find new wineskins for the new wine that you're pouring into this church. Because you are. You're coming to the shoreline and you're speaking the word and you say, go out into the deeper waters and cast out the nets. What would that be like today for us? That's Jesus' method. Learn this truth. To have a new beginning... We need to have to end the past so that Jesus can be our leader and our master. Jesus, what do you want? As you knock on the door, what do you want us to become? So here's the third part, the next part of this pattern of transformation, and that's number three. Worship Jesus as Lord to overcome your fear of being his witness. Now here's where the rubber hits the road, right? Most people are afraid to be evangelists. I think, but I, I picked that up. I sometimes am to do that. So to overcome our fears, we must place our faith in who Jesus really is. He is Lord, and that's exactly what happened in verses 8 through 11. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a, man of, of, I'm a sinful man. 
Have you ever bowed down to anybody before? Have you? Have you ever bowed down to Jesus Christ? That prostration of worship and adoration. When it says Peter fell, it doesn't mean he tripped over the, the fish that were flapping in the boat. It means it was an intentional, he fell at his knees and he said, Lord, I see you no longer as rabbi, yes, rabbi, and obeying you, and not just as master, but now I'm worshiping you. Lord, go away from me. And I put it in capital letters because I think it doesn't mean curious. I think it means Yahweh, Lord. So look at the development of his disciple. Obeying him, go away from me. That's the sense of going away. This, that's, holiness does that. It, 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 it attracts us to him and also repels us in our sinfulness. And, and we say like Isaiah, when he saw God, Jesus lifted up, holy, holy, holy. And he says, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm coming apart at the seams. And, and, and even Ezekiel, when he saw the presence of the Lord, fell on his knees. And John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, when he saw Jesus in Revelation, fell at his knees until the Lord touched him. When you have that kind of awareness that Jesus is Yahweh, he is God, and you feel the weight of your burden of your sinfulness because we're all born sinners by nature and sinners by choice, and you're sta standing and sitting and, and falling in the presence of the holy God. And unless you do that, you say to yourself, well, I'm okay. I'm fine. I don't need any mercy from God. When you see his blazing eyes looking into your heart and you worship him as Lord, maybe you'll be teachable. Maybe you'll be open to what he has for us to do. But if not, we'll just continue the same old, same old. We need his mercy. We need his vision. We need his directive. Peter's response, it says, was a fear, was astonishment. He was scared to death, but also reverential fear. He confesses his sinfulness in the light of God's holiness. And that's what Isaiah did. Ezekiel did. John did on the Isle of Patmos. And in that 18-foot-long boat, I've seen what they call the Jesus boat. It's, about, it's not even as long as one of these pews here. And about widest, maybe three of these pews together or two, whatever. But a small boat. And it was flooded. And it was filled with fish flapping, you know. <laughs> slippery fish. And, and, and I imagine that the guys catch, pulling the nets were hooting. Yay, man, we are catching fish today in the midst of all of that. Heaven comes down and confronts mankind. And Jesus veiled glory. He didn't void his glory when he became man. He veiled it. He unveiled his glory. And, and Peter saw that awesomeness, like on the Mount of Transfiguration. He called him master there as well, by the way. He saw God with us crashing into that boat On the Peter, standing in my boat, Emmanuel, God with us, God with me now here, the Lord of all creation who directed the fish, the giant fish to swallow up Jonah and then deposit him on the shore so he could make it to Syria. The Lord who feeds all the animals as we read in that beautiful Psalm 104, 
The Lord who commanded the ravens to feed Elijah. The Lord who commands the weather to rain or not rain. That Lord is standing in the boat with Peter, Yahweh. This majestic Lord Jesus Christ is the one who brought the ton of fish into those two boats. <laughs> and don't you think that maybe the disciples would realize eventually that Jesus of Nazareth could take care of all their physical needs if he could feed them with thousands of fish and breads and loaves? It's all called faith. Is he worthy of worship? Who is worthy of my worship? We talked about it last week. No one but Jesus, Yahweh in the flesh. For that moment, he saw him. And verse 9, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch he had taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Literally, the, the Greek text reads, for astonishment seized them. Actually, the word astonishment and then the word seized. Again, piling these words together to, to give you the moment that to be seized is, is an emotional mood and response when you're just overwhelmed with what's happening and you stand there all, and literally the word awesome is meaned here, astonished, awesome, seized them, astonished. They didn't know what to think. They'd never, ever seen this before and never would see it again. In fact, they saw the world record for fish caught in the Sea of Galilee. You go into the fishing uh, bait shops there in Galilee, there's a picture of all these boats full of fish. I'm just thinking out loud. Okay, this is the record catch on the lake, and Jesus, this, this itinerant rabbi, this carpenter, this Jewish carpenter, said, cast your nets deeper, and you're going to catch tons of fish. Who would have believed that? Who would do that right now? This is the middle of the day. And it was overwhelmed, this overwhelming seizure of astonishment was, was relieved by Jesus' gracious words. He said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Don't be afraid. You're going into a new business now. Not fishy fish, but people. You see, I believe fear is our greatest barrier to being as witnesses. The fear of manipulation, the fear of rejection, the fear of persecution, the fear of failure, the fear of not doing it right, the fear of losing your popular standing, all those fears silence us, may I say, they cancel our message. And we live in a cancel culture, and we need to speak out the truth, right? Who is not going to do it if the church doesn't do it? You see, you can overcome all those fears. And all those fears are true of your, what personality type you are. We all have those different time of push buttons, but Jesus said, here's what I've, here's what I've done. God did not give you a, a spirit of cowardice. That's literally the word in the King James, it's fear. In the NIV, it's called timidity, but the Greek word is cowardice. God did not make you a coward. Instead, he gave you the spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. One of the greatest things when you realize 
for change is you realize you can change. Realize I can be a witness. I do have within me power and love and, self, and self-discipline by the Holy Spirit inside of me. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Hebrews 13, 6. We can, by His grace and His Spirit's power, break through our comfort zone. I'm just not comfortable doing that. Well, it's not about your comfort. It's about breaking through to the people that are lost and broken so that you can be a fisher of men, mankind, literally. Not an air and masculine, but anthropos. To catch people, and that's an interesting word. It means to capture alive so that you can be, they, you, they can be controlled. By whom? By the Holy Spirit. You catch them alive. Like what Jesus said to Peter, when he says, someday somebody's going to capture you alive and, and, tie, and tie your hands and take you where you don't want to go. Obedience. Obey God and leave the consequences to Him. So here's the next uh, part of the pattern of transformation of following Jesus from rabbi to master and Lord to catcher of men and then following him to, beyond to the next step. That's number four in your message. Follow Jesus and leave the consequences uh, behind there. Follow Jesus and leave the consequences to him. This is Charles Stanley's saying. He learned it from his granddaddy. You're going to be preaching the gospel. Here's one thing you got to do, Charles. Obey God and leave the consequences to Him. The what ifs, the fears, I don't, I'm not sure. My response is to follow Him step by step, and He'll take care of you. He'll provide for you, right? Thank you, Judy. <laughs> Verse 11. So what did they do? They pulled their boats on shore and left everything and followed him. Have you come to that shoreline of your own life where you say, it all belongs to you, Lord. I'm pulling my boat to shore, and I'm not going to be returning to the Galilee to fish again. Well, John did, and Peter did in John 21. But they followed him all the time. And there's coming a time in your life where you have to cross the shoreline of your fears to follow him. His method of transformation, talked about in Matthew 18, 22, come follow me, and here's the consequence. I will transform you. I will change your heart. I will change your vocation. I will change your values so that you become a fisher of men. Is that just for Peter and the twelve? I think it's for everyone. When he taught the Sermon on the Mount, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this stuff that the world runs after will be added to you. So don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or wear. Just seek first me. Put me first in your time. Put me first in your calendar. Put me first in your budget. Put me first in your church and follow me. 
and leave the past where it is and take, he'll take you to the next step. Fishers of men. Bottom line, as I read this passage in, in Luke 5, look how Jesus transformed ordinary people into extraordinary witnesses. Do you see that? Look in Acts and you'll see this Peter who denied Jesus three times of speaking at Pentecost with such power. This Peter, this fisherman who says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give unto you, stand up and walk. Yes, that Peter. So I said, it's for all of us. In Acts 1.8, it says, he said to us, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you at Pentecost. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in that city, and then the next country over, Samaria, Judea, and all the ends of the earth. That's our mission's call for this church. You shall be my witnesses on Lincoln Street, and second, tonight, you should be my witnesses in the county courthouse, in the county jail. You should be my witnesses to your neighbors across your street and next door to you. You should be my witnesses in Washington County, my witnesses in all of Oregon, my witnesses in the United States of America, my witnesses all around the world, because the Holy Spirit is going to give you the power to do that. As I said, I think most Christians are afraid to do witnessing, and I think it's because we have a misconception about what witnessing is. Uh, we're supposed to do it, but I'm not so good at it. I mean, how many people have I led to the Lord personally in my life? I was talking with Judy about it. I feel like it's such a failure. Yeah, back in college, and yes, that person did when I was in the Chamber of Commerce, yes, but not a bunch. What's wrong with me? What am I, that I don't have the Roman road down correctly? Uh, am I not, you know, grabbing them by the throat and, do this, turn or burn, flip or fry. Is that what? It, evangelism explosion training, I took that. And then the Southern Baptist had continue witness program. And after church, our group in our church would go out and, and meet all the visitors and say, here it is. So when you think of the word evangelism, what do you think of? Do you think it means to win souls for Christ? I mean, that's out of Proverbs, that we're, we're in a battle. We're going to win this argument. We're going to we're conquer them. You're going to overtake them, put them in chains. No. Do you think that God is like a sales manager having his daily sales manager's meeting? Now, the quota for today is, Russ, five times to share your faith or else I'm going to be mad at you. You think God's like that? He's got a quota for us? He's, he's some kind of cruel taskmaster that harvests where he has not sown? Is that what evangelism is? If you don't do this, then you probably don't love Jesus. You've denied him before men, and, and you really don't love God if you're not running five people to the Lord every day. Is that a guilt trip or what? We need to share the gospel. We need to know what the gospel is, and we talked about it last week. John 3.16 is a great start. 1 Corinthians 5.15, 5 is a great start. But witnessing is not a sales pitch that you have to memorize, but it is speaking the truth in love. Uh, I like what I think is a, a more biblical definition of what witnessing is, and I put it in your notes, and here it is, Matt Michelotto's excellent book, Good News for a Change, How to Talk to Anyone About Jesus. 
That's a great book to read about what it means, I think, to be a witness in today's culture. He says evangelism is, first and foremost, us participating with the Holy Spirit to tell people about God and His love for them and to invite them into a relationship with Him. Because we're doing the work together with the Holy Spirit, we can trust God. We'll pick up the slack where we're failing. God wants us to participate, but it's up to God who makes the good news clear to our listeners. Isn't that the truth? What's the Bible say? Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered the seed, but who gives the increase? God does. He makes it grow. So I began to think about that. Planting seeds. When you're out there in this world which is so broken, and you're living among people who are so broken, and you say, you know, here's, here's a way that we can help heal the broken world. Your life is broken. Here's what Jesus can do to help you. You want to know more? Let's talk. Do you think you might have a better opportunity to share the gospel with someone if you approach them like that? Or you say, may I talk to you about God, things about the Spirit? One thing that we've found as we go around, somebody talks about their situation, and I say, can we pray for you right now? Most people will accept that. We enter to the presence of God praying. But here's what I sense. When we are walking in the Spirit of God, what God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is producing in you is these wonderful qualities that the world is dying for. Love. What the world needs now is love. Sweet love, but the love of the Spirit of God. And a sense of joy this defiant nevertheless, that no matter what the circumstances, I'm in a cancer ward, I'm in, in lying on a, on a table for my diabetes you know, injections, I, I'm, I'm suffering with a broken body, I'm aging, but I'm doing it with joy. I have a sense of hope. And, and there's a peace about me that passes all understanding that the world cannot manufacture or drug themselves with to get. And there's a patience that marks you that you don't fly off the handle. And from that, there's a kindness that people begin to detect in your life that this is a kind person. And there's a goodness about them. And there's a, there's a faithfulness. These people say they're going to be here, and they're here on time. They're going to show up and volunteer, and they do it without grousing. They're faithful people. And a gentleness, not a harshness, but a gentleness and self-control. My friends, God has called you to be a witness, not do witnessing. Our Father has called you and enabled you to have this salt in yourself that this dying world, decaying dark world, must want. And that you be a brilliant light of His that they want to know more about. Why is it? Oh, well, that sounds kind of familiar to me. 1 Peter 3, 15 to 16. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for hope that you have. You have a reason for hope? What's going on? Well, it's not quite that obvious. But they begin to notice there's something winsome about you. You're hopeful in this dark world. But do this with gentleness and respect and keeping a clear conscience. As this Holy Spirit makes you transparent and warm and congruent and gentle 
and kind and good. You will be his witnesses wherever you're serving, at school, where you volunteer, where you live. We've got to get that out of the salt shaker called the building and go among those people that don't agree with us and just live life with them and be that kind of person. They can see the light. They can taste the saltiness of you. People will take note that you have been with Jesus. When you hear someone in the Chamber of Commerce public meeting says about you, uh, to everybody, he's the real deal, then you'll know that that person has seen Jesus in you. And that's what the world wants to say to people that are not hypocrites, that are bona fide Christ followers like Jesus. You're the real deal. Now, when I think of church and I see you, I'm wondering why you're do- what you're doing in church. I'm out here to share Jesus. That's what he's calling you to do, calling me to be as well. The next step is to follow Jesus wherever he leads you until he calls you home. That's the next step. After his resurrection, Jesus came back to that shoreline. I think it's close to the same spot where they were fishing when they caught all those fish. And uh, where Peter, you know, left his boat to follow Jesus. He was out of the boat again. And John tells this story, eyewitness in John 21, that Peter says, I'm going fishing. So they all went out fishing in the same spot, the glory hole where they caught all those fish, I think. That's just me and my sanctified imagination. And they fished all night. And guess what? They didn't catch anything. Then they got this guy on the shore of that, by that uh, campfire saying, have you, friends, have you caught any fish? Leave us alone. This is our business. I don't want to fish. And then he said, you know, cast the net to the right side. And they started catching fish. And I have to imagine that right then Peter realized who else could do this? That's Jesus. So he took off his coat and jacket and jumped in and swam to the shore to be with Jesus. And as you follow the story, And after a great breakfast of fish and bread, I guess, together that Jesus prepared for them, the resurrected Jesus, he said, Peter, let's walk together. Walk with me. And John was following. So John could overhear this conversation. Peter, do you love me? You know, I like you, Lord. No, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Take care of my sheep. And a third time, Peter was, Lord, you know I love you. And after that threefold restoration to Peter's threefold fall of denying the Lord, this is what he said to Peter. This prophecy over Peter, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Old folks, all you Peters out there, I'm talking to myself because that's why I'm here in this church He leads you. He leads you beyond your comfort zone. He unretires you, right, Lydas? He's not going to let you walk your dog and be a couch potato or any one of us. We have the greatest good news on the planet, the only good news on the planet, and we got to speak it out. We've got to cast the nets out deeper, online, in here, whatever it takes, Let's get the trunk or treat going. But when we have an activity, let's always have a net out 
to tell people about Jesus so they can see your love and be drawn to that. Jesus calls Peter to take the next step to follow his Lord and leave the consequences to God. And I think the, the story is, the tradition is that Peter, when he was crucified, said, nope, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus. Crucify me upside down. Now, here's a man who's in love, who's worshipped Jesus as Lord. What a great pattern. And it's for all of us, each one of us. What do you call Jesus? Teacher? Rabbi? Master? Lord God? In every case, you can share the good news about Jesus, and he will make you fishers of men. And in my message notes, I want to read this to you because uh, my son-in-law's mother, Dorothy Brotherton, wrote this and posted it on Facebook. And I said, Dorothy, this is, what you wrote is so powerful. I have to share it. She said this, You've called us to follow you, and you said you'd make us fishers, not necessarily for fish. I think you meant we are to catch people, not reel them in and conk them over the head to boost our count or to brag. See the size of that one? I've done that with Sam before. Anybody else? You catch a big fish, you conk them on the head. Dorothy's seen that. And that's what we do with believers. This, I, yeah, I've led 17 people to the Lord, and here's the notches on my gun. You know? This is not... A competition. But we are to catch them with winsomeness, influence them towards you. Then you gather them into the net of your love, and then you give them a flick and set them free. I'm thinking, what does that mean? Well, that fish is alive, caught alive, and now they're transformed. You set them free to tell the other fish, right? Like the garrison demoniac that's set free. And she goes on to say, it's all right with me if you want to mend nets or patch sails or to shore uh, on the shore to support fishing crews. She says, I just want to roll up my sleeves and get down to business. Deliver me, please, from the rank of posers who lounge around exchanging tall tales, fish tales, but don't know starboard from port. Employ me, please, in the company of the authentic people fishers. Are you with me? Do I hear an amen? amen. Authentic People, fishers, if you need to send me out of the boat, please, Lord, you navigate. I don't want to poke around all this long night in empty waters coming up with nothing. I want to live a purposeful life. So I need you to pilot me. I long to pull up to the dock in the morning with a net full, a boat loaded and spilling over to offer to you, Lord. Oh, God, may that be our passion as a church. Fill this net up with live fish. Amen. Nevertheless, Lord, Master, we'll do what you say. Oh, Lord, take us to where, you, to where the fish are and fill the net of your good news with the people you love and want to be with you. Take me to be where the fish are. Lord, you tell me don't be afraid for you from now on we're going to be catchers of men. Oh, may that be the case. Lord, today I want to focus on you. Speak to me. Transform us. Make us to be catchers of people like you did at Sychar with the broken woman and the religious Samaritans. Oh, Father, May that be our genuine heart's desire.
You can change us. With the power you've implanted us of power and love and sound mind to overcome our cowardice, our, our timidity, our fears. Speak through us, Lord. In Jesus' name. We're going to stand up for the benediction and sing a great song of praise to the Lord and be dismissed. Shall we stand together? You see, worship is so dynamic as we sing. The Bible says God inhabits the praise of His saints. He is here. He loves to hear us sing praises to Him, but it lifts our eyes up to love God so we can love people vertically. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine, according to His power that's at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever. Amen. Amen? Let's sing together.